Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today we're joined by Josh Adams. Hi. Sophie DiBenedetto. Hi, guys. And today we have our special guest, Mariano. Hi. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So, Mariano, uh, before we jump in and talk with you, which I'm excited to do because we have a lot of cool stuff, he's just to give a, a, an idea of what we're talking about. He's done some one awesome articles about React Core and Partisan, which are two extremely cool technologies that are in the Erlang and Elixir ecosystem. But before we do that, we got to say hi to Sophie. So Sophie was a guest last week and we're uh, inviting her to join us as a, a guest host today and see, and, and see, if she, see, well, she'll get to test out if we're nice enough to hang around with for a little while. So yeah, Sophie, why don't you, me. yeah. So why don't you uh, just kind of give a little introduction to maybe a little background to just uh, for people who may be new to you. Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks for having me. Super, super excited to be joining you guys. Uh, I guess a little bit about me. I've been working with Elixir for a couple of years now, uh, both just kind of personally for fun side projects when I was first learning and then more recently at the Flatiron School where we've been doing some really cool things, I think, with Elixir in order to provide our students with an in-browser, sort of like very full, rich development environment. Uh, I am also part of the MPACS NYC organizing committee, so I'll probably plug that every now and then. You guys will hear a little bit about it. And uh, yeah, currently sitting here in Brooklyn, staring at my dog who is staring at me, and that's going to be happening throughout the course of this episode. I know your dog is somewhat famous, makes a number of appearances in your presentations. <laughs> Yes, very true. That's a uh, credit to my partner who is an artist and she draws all of the illustrations of him for my uh, slide decks, which is a really nice way to get like a very polished look for free. <laughs> very cool. All right. Well, Mariano, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about where you work and kind of what you're doing. Could you give us a little bit of background? Sure. Um, I'm co-founder of a really small startup uh, called Instadec. We build... Um, tools that let non-programmers or people without skills uh, be consume data, analyze it, aggregate it, uh, change it a little bit and build visualizations, live visualizations and publish them on the web. And uh, our backends are all, the, the first version was Erlang, the second version was FNA and the third one I'm starting to develop is Elixir. I'm, I'm going through all the languages on the beam. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's kind of where I work. I work from home, so. <laughs> nice. All right. And so I'm curious, because you have had a lot of experience with the Beam, uh, are you do currently doing anything in your uh, projects that you're working on that you're experimenting with React Core and Partisan? Um, yes. I, the previous backend was built on React Core. Um, so yeah, it ran for two years in production. And um, the, the, the current one is uh, not using, it's, uh, it runs on Partisan, but it doesn't use any like cool features of Partisan. And the new one, the one I'm building with Elixir, I'm planning to use Partisan uh, heavily and maybe not React Core. I have an idea for, for a new way of, of doing uh, um, 
distribution of load between nodes. And I will, that's why I'm also interested in TLA because uh, when you're working with the like distributed uh, system algorithms, you really want to be sure that not only the implementation is right, but also that the, the algorithm is right. So I'm going to be basing uh, the new architecture uh, on, on partisan and Elixir. Cool, so what is TLA? TLA Plus is a, a, a programming language, a tool uh, for uh, temporary logic of actions. It's created by the creator of, um, of uh, LaTeX and also the creator of Paxos, the distributed consensus algorithm that kind of kicked off um, all the movement about consensus algorithms. And uh, he was fighting to, to get, to marry like the, the succinctness, do you say in English, uh, of mathematics and expressivity of set uh, uh, theory and set algebra with uh, something that can be run and can be used to prove algorithms. So he created this language called TLA+, which is uh, a language used to model algorithms and the, the, the tool has, it's kind of like a programming language, but it looks a little bit like math. And uh, you use a, a model checker that checks that the, the model you specified of your algorithm is actually right. And it has a, like a brother or sister called, uh, um, oh, I forget the name, Calc something, uh, which is a, a language that looks more like a programming language that compiles to TLA. And it's, uh, it's, I find it useful to, as a, there's an expression that says that uh, you should learn a programming language if it changes the way you think about programming. And I've experienced that learning like C, Python, Erlang, Lisp, and now TLA+. I, I, I've been following, like I, I've read two books, I've read all the blog posts online, I follow the, the series uh, that Lampor provides on his website, but I never used it to specify anything, but already learning about it and seeing examples already makes me think uh, clearer about the design before implementing it. And I want to actually try to use it to specify algorithms. Um, Interesting, so, I, yeah. th that's really cool. I, I think, uh, I, I totally agree with you that um, there's a big benefit to learning new languages or new frameworks or anything if it causes you to think differently. Uh, it just kind of challenges your uh, mental model. So I would love to jump into uh, React Core. Maybe you yep. can give us, uh, so maybe, I think it might be a new, a term for a number of people. Yeah. Uh, it's, so maybe you can just give a little background about what it is and uh, kind of how it works. Sure. So I will go with uh, like a little bit of history of why it exists. Um, many years ago, in, in software terms, uh, Amazon published a paper called, called, uh, called usually the Dynamo paper, which specified the architecture they use for, for their uh, um, scalable, highly available, not consistent uh, data store, key value store. And they specified what it's, it's called the Dynamo architecture. And later, the people at Basho, a company that no longer exists, uh, decided to create a key value store, an open source key value store based on that architecture uh, using Erlang. So they created React, which is a key value store that still exists. Now it's like in, in, a, in a foundation, in a community. Um, is still being developed and used. And uh, 
and they they used this paper and implemented uh, the 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 architecture in Erlang. And at some point, they said like there's value in 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 this architecture outside of React. So they decided to extract the the core of React into a framework of its own. And so they announced and published React Core as an open source project that's separate from React, which React uses, of course. And and other people used it. And uh, you can check uh, the one from the top of my mind, but on the last chapter of, of this series, resources, there are, there's a list of, of many things that use React Core, but DalmatinoDB, which is a time series database, uses it. And so many people uh, started using it to, to build distributed systems that follow this Dynamo architecture on the beam. Uh, and me being interested in distributed systems and being interested on the beam, I started trying to use React Core. And at some point, like it was, uh, hard to get documentation so at some point I started uh, doing it. So basically it was like extracting the framework or the, the, the architecture out of React which, uh, which implemented a paper called Dynamo, uh, the Dynamo architecture. And yeah, after that uh, it became its own thing and uh, I've been part of trying to make it more popular because I, I don't know if people like it but I call it like the, uh, the Ruby on Rails of distributed systems. It's the, the, the easiest way to build Together with Microsoft Orleans, I think they are the two easiest ways to start building actual production-ready distributed systems on top of giants. Like you get the foundation, you implement like the callbacks, uh, you have like a skeleton of the project and you just put your code in places and magically you have these properties of, of these systems. That is really cool. So thank you for that little uh, background. Uh, so Basho was a, uh, an Erlang-centered uh, consultancy and you mentioned that it went out of uh, kind of they went out of business as a, a as a going concern as a, as a as a business yeah but what i'm really impressed with like so you we have a link to the show notes uh to the github for react core it is under the basho github organization but this is still actively being developed like as of this recording the last commit was 18 days ago and so i just want to people to be aware that even though it was created by a consultancy that doesn't exist any longer it still is actively uh moving forward and, and progress is being made. Yeah, I can add some some context. So basically, React is being used by many big organizations like the NHS in the UK and Bet365, to name some I can remember. Uh, and I think also the Danish uh, Health uh, Ministry or something like that. And um, so when, when Basho went out of business, these, these organizations wanted React and React Core to keep uh, being developed. So Bet365 bought Basho, like what, what was left of the company and open sourced everything and created kind of like a structure, I don't know if it's a foundation or what, that employs people to keep developing React and React Core. So React uh, has uh, new features and has new releases and React Core has new releases. And what, what happened um, when, like when Basho went silent, and uh, up until a couple of months ago, it's that some people did some forks, and now the the like the work that's been done in the community is to like to merge all these forks and to have like one official fork, which is the Basho Reacore. Before people may, if they search for Reacore on Hex, they will say, see Reacore, Reacore NG, and I have some forks too, and many people have forks. Uh, some research. Um, uh, universities, one in Germany and one in Portugal, have their own forks, and also uh, Christopher Michael John has his own fork. <laughs> we all have like our own forks. Now we are trying like to merge it back to one 
because it's really confusing for people. We are trying to do it the Ruby on Rails of distributed systems, and when they search for Reacord, they find like five, six active forks. So you'd say you're in marketing? Yeah, I'm. I'm like the unofficial. Um, PR of Christopher Michael John and like the unofficial uh, cheerleader of Record, let's say. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. He needs he needs PR. He needs a cheerleader. Yeah, he's awesome. So one of the things I want to highlight, and one of the reasons uh, we wanted you to uh, come on and share some of this information with us, is you did a a series of blog posts talking about React Core and part on Partisan. So using Partisan as like the node connection uh, mechanism. Uh, and doing an Elixir tutorial, which I think is really great because there might be a lot more documentation around using React Core with uh, Erlang just because of its history. Uh, so I think it's great that you're doing some coverage of how we can use Elixir with that too. So maybe you could just give people an idea of what, uh, if, what they would find by looking at this series of blog posts. Yeah, so my, the, the biggest, uh, I think, uh, because I... I started doing, when I was implementing the backend on React Core, I, I started like documenting my discovery process because it was for me also learning. And that was like a really long readme at some point. And then it became like the little React Core book. And um, at that moment, React Core uh, with all these forks and with uh, also with Erlang evolving really fast at that point, now it's kind of uh, stabilizing. And... Um, the code examples I was publishing were not building anymore. People had problems with dependencies and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I, I did like a new update that was called the Record Tutorial, was, which was basically just the code examples of the Re little Record book, but updated so that they build and run again. And uh, I noticed that all the time, the, the, the difficulties of people was basically setting up the environment and making like the ping pong example. After that, the hard part was just basically knowing what code to put where and what each callback meant. And the third big, big uh, roadblock, but if you arrive at it, you're almost done, is uh, how do you handle call, what's called handoff, which is how do you mi live migrate data between vNodes. And so I always focus on the, on the setup, like get a project uh, running and understand the concepts. Uh, and uh, when, when people were trying to, to use my code examples in Erlang by migrating to them to Elixir, they, they mentioned that they had really weird problems that I didn't have and I didn't know why. Then later I learned why. So I say, okay, there, there's this need. Uh, and, and there was a, a tutorial, uh, a series of Medium blog posts uh, by, it's, I think it's Gpad, the, the handle on Twitter, uh, on Reacorn Elixir. Uh, but also they got outdated and also they were just the code of the callbacks, not like the, a Git project that you can clone and try to run. And so I tried to update it again and gave a tutorial at uh, Elixir ConfLA in Medellin this year. And Next week, I'm giving it in this one too. So I already forgot what, you, what your question was. <laughs> yeah, so we were just discussing kind of uh, what some of your blog posts cover. Oh, yeah. So, so, so what, what it covers, yeah, there is still a, a short mention of what it is. I, I, will, I will add the, this link to, to that. And, and then how to set up a new project. And, and then what the callbacks are and what code to put to build an in-memory key value store using ETS as the, as the back store. And the, the last one is how to implement and handoff to migrate these uh, keys uh, from one window to the other. 
So the idea is to be really practical and to, to give you code, but complete code, not just like snippets that you don't know where to put or you put somewhere and it doesn't compile because something is missing. I want to give you a whole project. So I also built a companion project that's called CivilaDB, which is a, a decky value store I explained, but each, each step on the guide is a commit on the project. So you can just check out that, that commit and see the history and see the diff and see everything I'm telling you is actually a, a complete project that builds. I hope it keeps building. For that, I build a dependency that's called, I don't know how it's called, uh, Uniendo, because, it's, uh, because the, the fork from Christopher for React Core was called uh, Unir, which in Spanish means to join, and Uniendo means, means joining. Uh, just uh, play words, which which this uh, library does is like an umbrella dependency that brings all the dependencies in the right order in the right versions with the right overrides, so that you just get one dependency and your project gets record. So I think that was one of the biggest uh, additions to to all the documentation that there is. And the other is like, what I'm trying to do right now is to build like a Docker image and maybe a Docker compose so that people play with clustering without having to do the tricks of, of having different environments to have a cluster on the same machine without clashing ports and stuff like that. Right. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. Something I think people would like to understand is when they hear about React Core and they're thinking about their own business situations or their own projects or problems, uh, the big difficulty may be understanding how does this fit and what kinds of problems is this really good at solving? So I wonder if you could speak to that. Sure. Uh, yeah, since it's at like a generic uh, architecture, it's like uh, if somebody says like solve this problem using, I don't know, uh, three layers architecture, it's really generic, it doesn't tell you much. Uh, and to know if it applies and if it doesn't apply, I think uh, examples and like a description of generally what you want to do, the problem that you should have when you tr try to use React Core is uh, you want to build an application that you can horizontally scale uh, without masters. Usually there are, there are masters or primaries. Uh, uh, there are two type, type of distributed systems. Ones where each node is equal to all the others. And when you want to scale, you just add a new node and the nodes like rearrange uh, who owns what. This is the Dynamo architecture. And you have other architectures that are more in the, in the middle. If you read the, the big table uh, paper by Google, uh, where the cluster is split in two, uh, in three. You have like a Chavi, which is a consensus cluster with five nodes. You have uh, the primary or master, it's called master in, in that uh, paper, that knows, and then you have like worker nodes 
which uh, handle work, but uh, the one who decides who works on what and who owns what is uh, the master. And whenever you want to, to do something, you, you have to ask the, the primary, like, who owns this? I, I need to do something on this key, who owns it? And it gives you the reply, it says node number five, and then you can cache that resolution and, and talk directly with node, uh, with node number five. Uh, and at some point the node number five might tell you I'm no longer working with that key and you can ask again. And so that's like, like recapitulating, <laughs> if that's an English word, like you have, uh, this uh, primary worker architecture that's also distributed systems, but and but you have this more distributed system architecture where where all the nodes are are equal, uh, and basically they they work uh, with each other to distribute the load and migrate the data and decide who owns what. React Core is the later. You don't have this primary worker or primary replica uh, distinction, and. Uh, and you want to you want to build something that uh, scales horizontally, as I said. You just basically, when you want to scale, you add a new node. This new node joins the cluster, and the other nodes give them slices of the let's call it namespace. Like you are working with keys. They may be a key value store. They may be a pub sub system. It may be an MQTT broker. It may be like a Kafka clone. Uh, it it may even be like a like a chat system, uh, like a video game. Uh, how do you call it, room, where like you join and you find people and stuff like that. Usually something where, where you have a key that identifies what you want to do and you, you dispatch an operation on the key and the, the data for the operation. And, that, and then the system decides which node works on that. So I already mentioned some examples, like uh, you could implement something like an MQTT broker with it, something like RabbitMQ, a key value store, a PubSub system, a WebSocket system, a chat room system. Anything that you can, you can say, okay, when I'm doing this operation, this key identifies like, uh, it's like an identity of the thing. It can be the username, it can be the session, it can be the channel. For, for, this, for this podcast, it's the, the meeting ID we are using. So we will all land on the same server and that server will keep the state of, of our meeting. So it sounds like, so it sounds like it's a um, masterless uh, top, ring topology exactly. where it's like, a, it's using like a hash space. Like, so I might hash the keys and those get distributed among all the different nodes. So I can just scale up by adding more nodes and there is no master. They just kind of like repartition themselves. Exactly. And so then when I'm able to, so like, is the, is a data value stored in multiple nodes in case one of those nodes goes down or is temporarily unavailable? Yes. That's called quorum based reads and writes, which is support by core. Luckily you, you have to implement like a, a, one thing and you are there. Basically what you say is, uh, okay, I want to do this operation and I want to send this operation to three nodes. And I consider that this operation succeeded when at least two nodes replied. Or you can say, I want to send this operation to five nodes and I, want, I consider it a success when three replied. Or you can say, I want to send to one, or you, want, you can say, I want to send to three and it succeeds when the three replied. So you want to be really sure that it was written. And, and that's, uh, the, that level of consistency, you decide it's your, it's your the, like, from your business uh, domain, but uh, the, the framework gives you uh, already this. You don't have to think a lot about it. It's already supported. 
Yeah, I always, so I I always thought of uh, React Core as, or back in the day, there was the joke that uh, any Basho presentation must contain the golden hash ring slide. Yeah, it's a and, secret. Uh, I always think of React Core, <laughs> I think of React Core as the library that implements that slide. Exactly, that, that, that ring is, um, maybe people will understand it if they never saw the, like, the ring or don't know what consistent hashing is. Some systems or some architectures support what's called sharding which is basically when you scale, you decide like a slice of your key space. For example, the users from the A to the, I don't know, F, go to this server and from F to C, go to this other server. You do the partitioning, the sharding manually. You specify like the, the ranges and you configure it and you bring new servers and then you migrate it somehow. Like React Core, this ring is basically, it's like auto sharding. And how it does auto sharding, trying to maintain a property which is, each server on the ring should theoretically uh, receive this almost the same amount of requests as any other server. You don't want one server to be handling like twice or thrice the amount of requests as the other one. So what it does to, because React Core doesn't know if your key space, for example, your usernames, you may have more usernames with A than with, I don't know, X. Uh, it, what it does is, you give the key, the username, and it hashes it. And this hashing operation gives you an, a uniform distribution over the like the, the space of, of possible values. And that means that like statistically all your nodes will receive the same amount of requests unless like Justin Bieber appears. And and yeah, it's like auto sharding if people understand what sharding is and don't know what consistent hashing is. Maybe it'd be good to jump in, just mention what partisan is. Uh, so that's another library that you're using with this. And this, so Partisan, I just want to make sure people understand, can be used without React Core. It is a standalone library. But maybe you could help us understand what problem that's solving. Sure. So uh, a little bit of history again. I, I like to, to, to go over why something exists. So um, the Beam provides distribution using something called distributed Erlang, which is a protocol that allows you to cluster uh, Beam virtual machines and it provides this property that you get a PID, a process ID, and then you send it a message and the distributed Erlang will do the work of finding where this PID is and deliver the message. Um, how it's solved is when you join a, a virtual machine, a Beam virtual machine to a cluster, uh, it will do what's called a full mesh, which is every virtual machine knows about every other virtual machine. and uh, there's a property called uh, Metcalf's law, which is like the, the, like the number of connections between nodes grows, I, I think, exponentially with the number of nodes. So for a small number of nodes, you keep uh, like a small number of connections because each virtual machine keeps an open socket with each other virtual machine and it sends pings to know if they are alive or not for monitoring and stuff like this. And uh, this has, it works great, it's transparent. You send a message, it gets there. You can monitor pits on other machines and you get a message when they crash or when the node crash and stuff like that. But this, this has a, a theoretical or practical limit that depending on the workload you're doing between 50 and 100 nodes, your cluster will start to degrade performance. Because uh, like if each node has 50 TCP connections to other 50 nodes and they are all pinging all the time, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work just to be a cluster and you have to add the workload of your application on top. And other problems like it's just one, all the messages from one node to the other to keep the serialization uh, order of the messages is sent via one socket. And up until uh, uh, Erlang 21, 
uh, each message was sent as one thing. So if you send like a five megabyte binary, it, it generated something called a head of line blocking, which is like all many small messages will like block behind this huge message up un until it was delivered and, and confirmed. And uh, this was improving in R22, in where they split messages in, in smaller chunks. So this is, uh, the performance of, of distributed learning improved with this. But still, if you, if you go to partisan.cloud, you can see the paper and the benchmarks where uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So partisan says like, we want to try different, like different ways of clustering Erlang nodes, different architectures. And want, we want to try different algorithms and distri different distributed uh, uh, strategies because sometimes you don't want to keep uh, ordering between messages that don't care about each other. For example, you may care about all the messages from one node to the other to be ordered, but only for one username or for one session ID, but for the others, you don't care. Or you want to have two channels open, one to send big payloads and the other one to send heartbeats and stuff like that. Uh, and so what Christopher and Michael John built uh, on his ongoing PhD thesis is like a partisan, which is re-implementing distributed Erlang as a platform where you can plug different algorithms and different strategies and different membership uh, algorithms uh, at runtime. So you, you always use the same API, but at runtime you can change uh, how do you want to like cluster the nodes and how you want to keep the membership information and how you want to route the messages. And, and with that, they, uh, you can choose like fine tune uh, at runtime uh, what, uh, what's better for your workload. And also, uh, because this with Erlang is implemented in C, it's, and it's on the VM, it's not a place where you will go to make changes or put like a logging line or put like a tracing because it's like, it's, it's C, you don't want to be touching the VM. Also because if it crashes, it crashes everything. And the partisan is implemented in Erlang. So it's like, it's cool when, when the foundation you are on is in the same language you're using because you want to like stack traces and you can trace and you can touch the code and try something new. And uh, this is like how Partisan started. It was like, what if we make a pluggable distributed Erlang? Basically, you, we can try different things. We can use it as a research instrument for people to try new algorithms, new papers. What if we try this workload? And what he, what he did later, to, to run the benchmarks on these papers is to migrate React Core to Partisan so that, that he could implement a key value store and benchmark like the key value store running on React Core on distributed Erlang against uh, React Core running on Partisan and what was the difference. And the difference is crazy because you're, you're comparing a C implementation of distributed Erlang tune for 30 years against an Erlang implementation of distributed Erlang built by a PhD and the performance is better on the Partisan, uh, which is really cool. That is cool. So that is, there's a lot there. Uh, and so I'm, I will make sure we put links to all of that in the show notes. Um, there are just so people are aware, I encourage them to go check out your articles. You've created uh, six at least so far. And uh, so we'll have all of those, a link yep. to those blogs. Uh, but also I want to make sure people are aware of, you, you did mention this already, but you have an open source project, uh, Seville DB, that people can check out and experiment with so they can actually just get it running in a, and see the code, how it's all put together. And so I think it's an awesome resource for people. Like if you are interested in starting to play with Partisan or React Core, 
and you'd like to understand how these pieces work together and how you could uh, benefit or build a system like this, just be able to more quickly experiment and see if this is appropriate for your situation. It's a great resource to check out. Yeah, I'm actually really excited that that you did that and also that apparently it's not nearly as much trouble as it used to be when I was first playing with React Core because uh, I had to use like a three-release old version of Erlang to even run anything that anyone had online. Yeah, that my, my main contribution is to try to make it easy and more accessible. Like I'm not, I'm not the guy writing the papers. I'm not the guy like uh, doing the crazy implementations. I, I, I just, when I, when I see something that's really good and not many people are like finding, I, my, my part is just trying to make it more easier to try, easier to understand, easier to follow and stuff like that. So, accessibility. Accessibility, yeah. Over the last many years, We've had a ton of terrific people on JavaScript Jabber. And one thing that I realized over the last few years was that we were missing out on some of the real story there. So we would talk about the topic that they were experts in and help you keep up on what's going on in the JavaScript community. But I felt like we had these terrific people on there and we didn't really talk about who they were. So I pulled together a show called My JavaScript Story. And what we do is we interview the people that we've had on JavaScript Jabber or people just from the community. Maybe we'll have you on sometime. And we talk about how they got into programming, how they got into JavaScript, what they're working on, what they're well known for, and how they've developed their career. And some of the people are extremely well known and come from really interesting backgrounds. So if you're curious about how your JavaScript heroes got into JavaScript, then go check out my JavaScript story. You can find it at myjsstory.com. Well, maybe we could transition a little bit. I want to talk to you about uh, what you're doing with the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. So maybe you could just mention a little bit what you're doing there. Yeah, so um, I'm a member of the working group on documentation. We are trying to, to unify a little bit the, the tool set and the, and the work of uh, to start Erlang and Elixir so that you have the Erlang documentation available on Elixir tools. Also to try to, because we, we, I, I come from the Erlang community, we learn a lot from Elixir and you have beautiful documentation. <laughs> so we want to try to make use of all these tool chain, tool, chain, tool sets and, and styles and, and, and guidelines and stuff like that. So uh, we are working on ways to translate because the Erlang documentation is uh, like, shows its age is built on XML and, and a really long and weird tool, tool set. Um, so we are working on translating those XML files into something that can be consumed by the Elixir toolchain so that they, it can embed documentation on the Elixir ecosystem, but also so that we can render the Erlang documentation on the kind of Elixir style, not, not necessarily like purple, but <laughs> maybe red or something, but, uh, but as nice as the Elixir documentation looks like. And this is like the, the, the thing we're working on because the working group is, is young and new. But after that, we are going to work on, on everything that has to do with uh, making it easier to consume and build and share documentation on the Beam, basically. And not uh, duplicate uh, effort when there's no sense to do it. And the second is um, the language interoperability working group uh, of which I'm, uh, well, I will be if approved the, the chair. And this is similar, but instead of, uh, instead of um, being about documentation, it's, it's um, about uh, making it easier also to avoid duplication. Like 
the, the Erlang language already has a standard library and the Elixir library has a smaller standard library, but really powerful. And uh, what to, I, I'm talking personally here, not for the other members, but what I would like to have is that nobody else on the ecosystem uh, has to create a new like enum uh, or a new list data type or a protocol that they can reuse the Elixir ones or they can reuse the Erlang ones. So that whenever somebody publishes a library that's useful for me, I don't care which languages. Maybe I care, but I should care the least possible so that we can move forward faster without reinventing the wheel. Uh, and also, uh, personally, I, I think it's uh, interesting for uh, the Beam to be uh, a platform to try new things. Like I really, that's why also I do the real core and the partisan things because I, I would like Erlang to be like the target platform by default to try new distributed system things. And I would like also it to be uh, the, the target platform to try new programming language paradigms. Uh, what, uh, wh how would it look like a programming language that abstracts over distribution and stuff like that where uh, Christopher worked on LASP, which is kind of like that. but. Uh, I would like to push it so that if you want to try a really crazy programming language concept, you have so much already fixed, like, like kind of like real core, but for languages. And what we are working at the beginning is to make it easy for people to use Elixir libraries on, on Erlang, uh, for people to use um, Elixir structs and protocols on other languages in general. And uh, what else? Those are like, the, uh, and also the, um, Unify, the, there, there's many people working on the on, uh, IDE integration for languages, for Elixir, for Erlang, try to get them all together and also not reinvent the wheel so that there's a platform. And when somebody does like a hobby programming language for the Beam, they just plug into some callbacks on the language server and they get instant integration with uh, uh, with an IDE, with Visual Studio Code, for example, and they plug in something and they have nice documentation. So we want to make it easier to share uh, inside the platform. It's really cool. Yeah, having read your uh, blog posts on React Core just ahead of today's conversation, I'm like not at all surprised to hear that you're involved with the documentation working group because I feel like your writing had this really nice like sort of didactic flavor to it like all the setup stuff and all the dependencies we're taking care of and you know having been a teacher myself I'm like always trying to strike this balance between giving you everything you need so that you can focus on the actual hard part uh you know without making it too easy um yeah so it's really cool and exciting to hear about what you guys are doing by way of documentation and some of this Elixir Erlang interop I mean I think you sort of already spoke to this but I'd just be curious to hear your take on, you know, why this is something that we need in our community, in the Elixir community, in the Beam community? I think like, I was really, I, as I said, I was uh, part of, I, I am part of the Erlang community before Elixir existed, actually. And uh, I was, uh, there was a lot of people and new people coming in, like complaining about the, the problems that Erlang had, which were kind of all solved by Elixir, in a sense. But at the beginning, some people on the Erlang side got defensive uh, on like, uh, they are stealing our thunder, let's say. They are stealing our, our virtual machine and our libraries and they are saying that it's like a new language. And there was something to that, like there were people like wrapping libraries uh, with like 
15 lines of code and not not mentioning the the underlying library and stuff like that but after that i think the erlang community understood that elixir was this breath of fresh air and this impulse i i i i don't think i'm saying something new when i say that the elixir community is bigger than the erlang community and um, and this process of okay they have something to teach us and they are building stuff that's really cool, like like structs, like protocols, like documentations, like uh, also culture, like uh, attitude and and attitude to beginners and and ease of use and stuff like that. Uh, and um, I I guess uh, to generalize it to to make it work also for smaller communities like LFE and any other new language like Gleam, like Alpaca. Uh, and closure, which is a closure implementation from Erlang. We want to everything that that the Erlang community has and learned, and everything that the Elixir community built and knows and learns, to to unify our effort to not duplicate, to not fight, to to push forward as a platform, and to provide all of these learning and resources and tools to these smaller uh, communities that are trying some cool stuff. Uh, so that they don't have to like implement a language server, implement a documentation tool chain to implement to implement like integration with the uh, documentation from Erlang and stuff like that, and to make uh, like uh, like the Beam community be something that where we are all like we are somebody may be part of the Glean community, but we are all part of the of the Beam community, and and we don't waste effort because there there's a lot yet uh, still to do and and it will be a waste of effort if uh, every single community is uh, reinventing everything and if we are also if you are if we are non-interoperable in the sense that i see a cool library that implements uh, like some crazy algorithm but it's implemented in alpaca so i have to like implement it again because i can't use it yeah i'm definitely pro anything that's good for the community and allows me to be lazier so yeah me too <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're up on time. Thank you, Mariana, for coming on and talking with us. Uh, so let's go to go ahead and transition to picks. Josh, do you want to go first? Sure. I need to grab the link. But there's a talk that I found out about when we were talking right before this podcast. And that's my pick. I have not watched it yet. But uh, it is rewriting GitHub pages with React Core. And so it's on like today's watch list. Anyway, that's it for me. Sophie. Yeah, um, I have two. So one is a blog post that a coworker of mine just published uh, on our sort of engineering team's blog on Medium about how to compose queries in Ecto. And I just thought it, it really made something click for me because I feel like it just took me a really long time to kind of grok Ecto and, and kind of have it feel as natural as working with something like Active Record. And I feel like I've built, you know, composable queries in ARL and, you know, really loved how flexible and dynamic that that kind of was able to be and didn't really feel like I could get to that same place with Ecto. And this was just a really nice post that felt like a fun read and helped make a lot of things click for me. So definitely recommend checking it out. And uh, secondly, non-programming pick. Uh, so I should preface this by saying, I, I really love to cook, but I don't like to bake. It's too exact, you have to follow a recipe and I'll mess it up every time. But someone recommended this uh, very fancy looking burnt Basque cheesecake recipe to me. And it is the absolute only thing that I've ever baked that came out looking exactly like the picture. Uh, so whether you're new to baking or you just really wanna impress your friends at a holiday party, uh, definitely check out this recipe. Cool. All right. I've got two. Uh, one, I, it was a video I watched yesterday. 
It was a, it's a 10 minute video on YouTube that was with uh, Francesco Cesarini. He's with the Erlang Solutions. And it was a great, art, a great little video. It, he's talking about immutability. And immutability is, especially when people are coming new to uh, functional programming and that kind of mindset, they can really struggle with it. But he kind of goes through how it works, the benefits, and along with mutability, there are times when you want to use mutability or immutability in the different situations, and he kind of talks about those. So it's a great resource. The other one, I got this from a, a coworker, I love this, is it's a, a declassified short CIA manual on sabotage from 1944. So immediately there's a whole bunch of it that is just not applicable. You know, it's like, you know, talking about how cars work and you can, how you can pull certain cables off to make it not work or something like that. But this, there's a, a section titled General Interference with Organizations and Production. And that is totally relevant today. Now, I'm not suggesting you sabotage your organizations that you're in, but instead, uh, check it out and think about how the, of the people and the places where you've worked and see if you see some of these same behaviors. So I'm just going to list off a few of them because they're, they're funny. So like one says, insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. Or when possible, refer all matters to committees for, quote, further study and consideration. Attempt to make the committees as large as possible, never less than five. So if you start to see these kinds of patterns in companies where you work or anything, it's like you can kind of read this and say, oh, I should do the opposite. I should make sure we're having small committees and people can take shortcuts to make sure things get done faster. And uh, so it's just a fun one. Uh, like another one is bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Maybe you know that guy or gal who does that in the meetings, you know? So maybe you're that person. So maybe. maybe but also if your goal... If your goal is to sabotage, it's also a useful resource. <laughs> yes. Uh, so those are two fun ones to just check out. Uh, Mariano, how about you? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned previously, I have to say first, I'm not a TDD guy. I'm not a test first guy or a heavy unit tester. Um, but I'm really interested lately in, in like, there's like a spectrum of testing from unit tests, integration tests. Uh, but I'm interested more in the, in the other side of the spectrum, which is uh, property-based testing and uh, specifications. And so for property-based testing on Erlang, you can use proper. And I think there, there's a wrapper for Elixir too. Um, and there's a really good book uh, called Property-Based Testing with Proper Erlang and Elixir from Fred Hebert. I hope I pronounced his last name correctly. And uh, which covers how to use proper to use property-based testing with a library called proper. And farther right on the spectrum is um, TLA Plus, which I already mentioned. And the book is called Practical TLA Plus by uh, Hillel Wayne. And um, it... Uh, teaches you how to use TLA plus and um, this other language that I'm going to remember the name. Let me see. Plus calc, plus calc um, to specify uh, algorithms in, in like increasing levels of complexity and to use the, the model checker to check if your implementation is correct. So uh, it's, uh, as I said, uh, you, I guess everybody should explore the whole spectrum of how to test and specify specify uh, your algorithms and find like the sweet spot. I think all of them are useful. 
I think the the farther like to the specification side you go, the more uh, it's a a tool of thought of design. More maybe you don't like write the specification, or maybe you don't keep it up to date. But the fact of trying to fit your mental model into uh, like a a model that can be checked mathematically, uh, even if it doesn't even compile should give you a better uh, a better model to start with than like some boxes and arrows on a, on a blackboard <laughs> great all right well mariano thank you for coming on and sharing with us uh how people can be using react uh, react core and partisan and for your blog articles i appreciate that so if people would like to connect with you online or follow you where should they go to do that i'm uh Mariano guerra like my name but with the w at the beginning uh, on twitter and I'm Mariano Guerra at GitHub, and I'm marianoguerra.org on, on the web. Uh, I, in my Twitter account, I talk mainly about software. Like it's another, I don't talk about other things. Uh, maybe about music and politics sometimes, but mostly about software. So it's a, a central point to follow. And my, my blog is mainly post-technical content, so both of those. And my GitHub is full of repositories that are long dead, but you can check there are some active ones. <laughs> Great. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.